Hello listener, it's the host of Campbell's Football's Grant Campbell here, with a message to every one of you listening to this podcast. Please keep safe during this very stressful time with the outbreak of coronavirus affecting not just football, but our everyday lives. Make sure your friends and family are safe during this very stressful time for many of us, not just physically, but mentally too. But Campbell's Footballs will still be producing podcasts. However, there will be very few predictions because obviously there's not much football going on at the moment. I have a few in-conversation specials though, which I'm sure you would love to listen to. But at the end of the day, please make sure that you look after yourselves. Take the time to listen to the show in your own home, with friends and family. And remember that we are all in this together. So take care, be safe, and I'll see you soon. Hello listener, welcome back to the Campbell's Footballs podcast. I am joined by an absolute hero of Scotland international football. It is uh, Scotland's international Leanne Crichton. Leanne, a warm welcome to the show. Thank you, lovely uh, to join you. It's, it's fabulous to have you on, Leanne, and, and you're only the second female guest I've had on this podcast, which is really poor of me, I have to say, but also fabulous <laughs> to actually have you on, because your story is a really interesting one, both in terms of the fact that you've played at the highest level for your country and been very successful on the pitch, but off the pitch have had a very interesting move into the media and a really exciting time. Before we kick off and learn a little bit more about your time in the game, how are you coping with the shutdown at the moment? I'm doing okay actually. Um, I think it was a shock to the, the system for everybody in, in the beginning. Just we we probably anticipated that it was it was coming, but I don't know if, if anyone really was um, prepared for it to be kind of as rigid and um, you know as grounded as, it, as it's been. But listen, for for me, it's routine's always good. Um, that's how my days function normally. So um, I just identified quite early on just to find a routine that works. Um, sticking to obviously the the guidance and the guidelines that are in place but no it's been fine the weather has been an absolute blessing Absolutely. Um, it's been nice actually to get out and exercise and utilize that hour of exercise with you know fresh air rather than the, the driving rain which was what we were exposed to for the majority of pre-season from uh, january february and march so what? no it's fine i'm coping yeah. all right what's the the things you're missing most about having no football or is it family is it a range of other things about everything, yeah, I think, like, my week-to-week, I'm pretty family-orientated. Any free time that I've, I've got is always spent with the family. Most of my friends are, are at football, so you, you see enough of them in the, the seven or eight sessions that we all do together. Um, so that's been difficult. Uh, normally, I would be out once or twice a week with my nana. She's, like, eight, eight years old, and <laughs> we love uh, a coffee catch-up and a bit of lunch. So just simple things like that. Um, the training is what it is it's, it's football training and the games were just kicking off so naturally um, I miss that but also in terms of the work and the media stuff that became um, you know a strong fixture in, in my week yeah. um, you know and you get a real buzz off that we were, we're just getting a bit of consistency going in terms of the championship 
coming ahead and, and the games were heading into that, you know, crunch period of the season where it would have been um, every Friday night for, you know, an eight or a nine week block. So that's a real miss, um, you know, and it's a shame that football's where it's at. But yeah. listen, we'll get through it and um, we'll survive Absolutely Everybody's health In a situation like this Is of prime importance And we, we hope everybody Is keeping well Mentally and physically During this tough time Leanne as I mentioned You've had an amazing um, Career so far um, I want to delve into that In this podcast And also into Your media journey so far But my first question As I always ask My majority of uh, guests I have on is What made you want to go Into football in the first place? Um, I don't know if it was so much as wanting um, in terms of playing I think just my background and where I was I was brought up and where I grew up um, the kind of family background that, that was there and we were always active we were always um, as kids you know offered opportunities to, to try various different sports um, certainly being from East End of Glasgow everybody was consumed by football um, especially back in the 90s you know um when I was growing up and, you know, a lot of my memories just revolved around watching football, whether it be on BBC or ITV, you know, you only had probably four channels back then and even as a kid I, I remember just watching games, um, you know, and growing to love it. Um, my older brother at the time, we were close in age so we always um, had each other, you know, to play um, football with. So I think it was just a pathway that I almost fell into. Yeah. Um, always you know wanted to hang about with my older brother so he played um football and he'd be forced to take his, his little sister everywhere he went so um you know he <laughs> probably bits of that were frustrating for him um but then i can I, i'm a type of person that if, if i'm good at something i'll buy myself um and i kind of found early on that um, football was probably something that, that was for me so I just pursued that journey. I, I don't ever remember identifying, you know, wanting to become a footballer because yeah. I don't think it was that realistic um, back then when, when I was a kid. But um, no, I loved it. everything about football. You know, I, I love going to games, I love watching it on TV, I love playing it, I love the, the team aspect of it. So um, it was just made for me. Did you have any inspirations growing up on and off the pitch? Um, again, just family. You know, I always had that close bond with, with both my siblings, and, and that was um, where most of the enjoyment came from. Um, a lot of probably back then, I think there was more a community aspect of sport. Um, kids now have got more opportunities where you know team sport offers a wider range of age groups where you can find a team or if you're a young girl at seven or eight years old you can find a team full of other girls whereas for me it was more about the community um, and wanting to be as good as the people around me mm -hmm. and you know more times than not that was family um, so that was a driving force you know to become better um, but again I've grown up with the, the old firm in the east end of Glasgow and um, they're always fierce encounters so yeah. um, a player that I would have idolised would have been Barry Ferguson as a kid um, and I've been a, a lifelong Liverpool fan as well so okay. Steven Gerrard's another one that um, I just would watch you know, videos over and over again um, yeah. just trying to recreate moments that, that these players would um, 
would showcase. And what about media aspects? Well, we'll touch on that a little bit. Was there anybody in the media that you sort of looked up to growing up, or did that kind of come later? No, do you know what? The, the media um, was, an, was a total curveball. Um, it was never something that I had thought I would ever be part of, um, other than being on the side of being a player, interacting with the media. Sure. Um, so, no, but I guess in terms of broadcasting and, and watching games and stuff, like, I've always, I, I enjoy the analysis side of the game, so any programmes that I watch, I enjoy watching the news. Like, I've always watched the news, I've always read newspapers. Um, so I guess with, without actually, you know, saying I was interested in the media, there was all aspects of it that I've always um, enjoyed. Yeah. You know, so it was a total curveball um, getting involved with that, and it, it was just after I had come back from um, playing down at uh, Notts County. Yeah, let's touch on to your playing career because you you started your your life in the footballing game at Cumbernauld Cosmos in the youth setup. What was that like, just for the the everyday listener wanting to know a little bit like that? Because women's football back then was 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 quite limited in terms of opportunities, wasn't it? Well, there was. That, that was the first team um, that I had played with up until then. I had only played school football, um, and I, I had maybe played one or two games. As um, I had a couple of friends that were a bit older that had played, you know, for a team that on a weekend would be short of players and you know or come along and, and join in. But that was a women's side, so I, I maybe played one or two games in a women's team when I was like thirteen, fourteen. Um, but Cumbernauld was was the first team, and I stumbled upon that. I was. Um, I went with my mum to pick up my younger brother who was at an Easter camp Right. Um, and I'm doing the usual, you know, keeping the ball up at the side of the pitch, trying to show off because that's just what you do if, you, <laughs> if you're looking to I wouldn't um, know, I'm rubbish at football <laughs> <laughs> Endless hours um, in fact, and keep up and literally the, uh, the woman Carol who ran uh, and managed Cumbernauld kind of just uh, caught her eye and she had said for me to go along to training um, one day and for me that was a bit of an eye-opener because I, I don't think I realised that kind of girls' teams actually existed mm-hmm. even though they were few and far between back then Yeah, yeah. Um, because as much as my family have always supported me in football I was never it was never forced upon me either so I, I don't even know if my parents realised that there was other opportunities out there mm-hmm. um, you know unless somebody was to come and ask you to do it or to show you where to go um, now you see everything on social media it's advertised really well I just don't think we knew about it so I literally fell upon that opportunity to go to Cumbernauld and when I got there uh, I was blown away with the fact there was actually a full team mm-hmm. of girls that you know, like because up until then I had only ever been the only girl at my school that played, or the only girl in the area. Yeah. Um. So that was bizarre, mm-hmm. and within almost like a two-year period, I had, had kind of fast-tracked from playing with, with Cumbernauld and then being part of like the youth international setup and stuff. So yeah. that was a bit of a whirlwind, but it, it was just great. I mean talent back then and, and even some of the players that I've played with at those age groups you know lots of them have gone on to have um, brilliant careers and the ones that haven't probably a lot of it wasn't to do with a lack of talent, it yeah. was more to do with I think a lack of, of opportunities and people having to prioritise jobs um, that paid 
bills at some point or education yeah. got in the way um, so the talent pool was, was actually um, quite considerable even although the, the teams were few and far between yeah is coaching at that level very demanding it obviously had to obviously start somewhere and then, and then making that step up what was the transition like because obviously you went from there to, to Whitehill Welfare I and mean, what was that like no, honestly, that that's probably the, the biggest thing um, for me that's changed in the women's and girls' game um, in the last decade, probably, is the level of coaching. Because back then, it was volunteers, Grant, that were, were running teams. It was parents. Um, you know, it was people that had minimal qualifications. And I say it all the time, those are, are the people that I'm most thankful to because they gave up their time, you know, to not get very much back mm-hmm. um, and they dedicated a lot of time and effort into providing a structure for girls back then um, but now it's changed you know you've got most coaches you've got qualifications whether that's at youth level um, senior level there's more experience there's more opportunities the resources are far greater but back then very limited you were, you were turning up you know pretty much on a Sunday with your kit on ready to go you maybe trained once a week um, and even that would consist of basic drills in, in terms of running, passing, um, and small-sided games. So there was there was never an attention to detail in, in terms of making you better um, as a player. It was more just about putting a team together um, yeah. to go and perform and, and have fun. You seem to be a girl, from my side looking in, that was a very committed and determined person. Would you agree with that? I think so, yeah. I think for me it was... I've always been brought up as well to be strong-willed in the, in the sense that if you've, you've got an opinion as well, um, you know, to try and voice that in, in a positive way if you can. A lot of the time that was maybe lost in translation um, <laughs> growing up and, and probably a bit of frustration mixed in there as well. Um, but I'm all for people having opportunities and, and I'm all for... Um, you know, equality in, in the sense that if you're good enough at something, then you, you should have the same opportunities um, as the next person. And, I, and the fact that probably I was brought up with only brothers, I was never treated any differently to them. Yeah. So moving forward in my path in life, I've never understood why anybody would treat anybody any differently. Definitely. Um, and like I said, once, you know, I, I'm good at applying myself to things that I'm. I identify myself as being good at other people might beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's maybe explore that a little bit later on in this podcast. Aye, aye. Um, yeah. yo, you started a, a short spell at Glasgow State Star. Well, I'm just trying to get this right in my head here. And then you moved on to Celtic, obviously. You talked a little bit about Rangers at the beginning. What was it like to, to play for Celtic? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, I was young at the, at the time. Um, in terms of being like a late late teens but obviously a young adult um, again being brought up in the east end of Glasgow people, you know friends that would have um, affiliations to, to other teams would um, have a bit of banter and stuff and, and family members as well but for me it was a huge opportunity and it was probably the first time um, in senior football for me that I actually felt part of a team and a structure yeah. um, that was offering real potential uh, that level of coaching that again it was a level up from, from what I had seen before because you know it was it was proper coaches that had qualifications that had you know played the game that had been part of it um, 
you were at a training facility that felt yours. You know, you you felt like football and football training was was real, and it was the, the first time I probably felt close to what the experience would be um, for, for the male counterparts in, in the game, yeah. um, and being part of um, that almost academy structure and, mm-hmm. and something really good. Um, yeah, talk to me a little bit about the coaching and the setup at, at, at Celtic because there's some of the players back back then they were decent, they were pretty decent side Celtic back in those days as well. We had a brilliant side back then, and to be honest, we 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 should have achieved more um, than what we did. I, th- I think you know even Glasgow City players that would have played back then at, and Hibs were were a top side as well. I think we pushed them. Um, and Spartans actually, I think they ended up one season they, they picked us just to second place. Um, but there was like two or three points between, you know, top and third. Um, but it was a top, top side, real um, potential mm-hmm. all the way through it. The coaches, uh, Robert Doherty and Brian Delaney, you know, chalk and cheese, the both of them. Um, real qualities though is motivators, and you speak about, you know, man management um, and different styles uh, and that for me was, was the best thing mm-hmm. about Celtic and, and the team were so hungry and so determined yeah. um, I used to love it I mean uh, Robert Dockett he would tr- join in and training and stuff like that uh, and he played the game and, and was pretty decent uh, even fitness wise he, he still had it back then so he would join in and he would be pushing you every session um, you used to hope that he was on the other side so that you could almost get that physical battle yeah. um, and to show you know how good you could be um, uh, and Brian Delaney was just you know people have probably got mixed opinions of Brian if, if you don't know him because in the touchline he's, he's quite irate and uh, you know mm. he, he's up and down probably a bit like a Martin O'Neill yes. <laughs> um, but you know a heart of gold these guys and, and they had a real vision for Celtic back then uh, and it's just a shame that, that we probably never achieved you know what, what we you know the potential um, was certainly there who was the who were the people in the dressing room that had the camaraderie who were the real wind up merchants and the people who were the, the real characters in the dressing room were you one of them <laughs> <laughs> in the sense that um, even though I was young I was I could still speak and you know you listen to players being interviewed now and they ask who the ones are that are, are not scared to dig other people out or you know when the chips are down who's the one that's kind of trying to rally the team and yeah. I've probably always tried to offer a bit of that even when I was young um, at times you would feel intimidated and you'd, you'd maybe be a bit scared to, to say too much but no, there was a, a real mix of players. I mean, Christy Murray um, would have been in, in the team back then. Joe Love was there, Suzanne Grant, um, Becky Stokes, you know, who's kind of moved down the divisions. If she's went on, she was captain. Um, she was captain of the side back then, and she was a real leader. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a real live wire. Then I, there was players that came in over the, the couple of seasons, like... Um, Mandy Burns, who is an ex-Scotland player, and you know Mandy had a reputation of being probably a real hard nut on the on the pitch, and yeah. um, you know always you know played with her, her heart and her sleeve. So now there was a, a real good bunch of players that you had a, a, a fine balance between mm-hmm. uh, 
young and old and senior players that, that came in, you know, a couple of, you know, retired Scotland players at the time who were still playing at senior level. Um, it, it was good. It was good. And, and that team was put together, and I think, really well because, you know, Doc and, and, and Brian, um, they knew what it, it took to, to build a team. Yes. Which is... The fight, that that is the fine art of a team. I think is that people, especially fans watching games, you know, they ask questions about, you know, oh, if if he's eighteen or she's eighteen, and why is she not playing? And he's twenty one and he should be playing. And you cannot have a team full of. 18, 19, 20 year olds yeah. you know in hindsight that was yeah. <laughs> you need that you need that blend don't you you need that blend of youth and experience oh, don't you and that's it and whether you you know you're putting somebody in at centre back that's maybe not as fast as, as the 20 year old but certainly the way they, they read the game and anticipate things and speak to people around them always makes things a bit better yeah. so no it was um, it was a good laugh and it was you know a a really, really good experience for me to be part of that team. Yeah. He then moved to, to Hibs for a season, and what I was reading here, which was quite extraordinary, he made just the 18 appearances for Hibs, but he scored 11 goals, which is quite a fair record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a mistake. I just found that out just now. <laughs> really? There you are. You can take my word for it. <laughs> um, I know, I think during that season, I mean, I had left Celtic, I had moved through Edinburgh. Um, Hibs was a good fit just in the sense that the Celtic team that I had been part of had started to lose a couple of players um, toward the end of that season. It was always the same. Glasgow City were, were always a top side. Yeah. Um, after a while, I think players were, were giving it a right good go. Um, and then at some point, as a player, you know, a lot of people do, you kind of weigh up at what point you're, you're going to really start winning silverware mm-hmm. um, as a player which is, is a huge thing um, so players had started to kind of be cherry picked here and there um, maybe a couple had went down south to play mm-hmm. even as early on as that um, so Hibs was a good fit just in the sense that there was no travelling um, I could you know be there and work wise there was a balance just working full time and um, it was probably just a shame that year, the way that I was probably in and out of the team. Um, I had spoken about it actually to Marvin Bartley the other day when I, I spoke to him on uh, an Insta Live and I was yeah. just saying that my gran had passed away the November that, that year and she was staying obviously through in Glasgow so I, there was a lot of times when I was travelling mm-hmm. um, back and forward. Um, and it, it was just a shame. So there was maybe a couple of niggling injuries that season. Yeah. Um, it was actually a really good, a good side in, in terms of young players because at Hibs that year, I think we we played Glasgow City in the, the Scottish Cup final yes. that year. Um, I remember not starting that that game, and I, I think I had been injured possibly in the build up to it, and I was a bit frustrated. Um, but listen, Claire Emsley was at the, the team. Yes. Caroline Beer was coming up as a youth player. Um, Joel Murray was obviously one of the you know top players and, and captain in the side. Again, there was a balance of a couple of other older players that were there. Yeah. Um, but they were a real hungry side, but, but probably just the balance wasn't quite there. Yeah. Um, and it, it made it a bit more a, a tricky season. Um, yeah, I maybe should have mentioned this when I was talking about um, Celtic. But did you guys, did you girls ever get uh, advice from the men's side? No, no, nothing really to be honest. Um, 
I'm That's quite interesting. Always... Would you have benefited from that if you would you have benefited from that in any way if you had advice from the the male side on both your Hibs and your Celtic time? Yeah, I think some some people um, certainly would have because for me, watching the men's game, I don't know if it's quite the same for for kids now. Um, I don't know if they watch football as mm. much as, as even we would have done as, as kids. Um, but certainly growing up, I was consumed by wanting to know what it was like. What, even now, you know, I look at players like Scott Brown still playing at the level that he plays in, in his 30s. And, you know, I would love to have a conversation with, with somebody like Scott Brown and, and ask what he does, how he trains, how does he recover, what things does he do, um, how does he process a win, how does he process, you know, so many different things so yes. at some point I, I do think that that input um, could be valuable in it. and it's the same way now that as a, a first team player at Glasgow City we try and, and offer up as much information as we can to yep. our academy players and, and we're always there and we'd like to think we're, we're always approachable in the sense that if there is questions that are unanswered or um, they can you know see a, a trait in us that perhaps they recognise in themselves then you yeah. would want to speak about it, and, but no, there wasn't. There wasn't a lot of input. No, that, that's interesting. That's interesting. I wonder if there'll be more of that in the future because I think that I think a lot of players coming through would maybe benefit from that. Yeah, and I think the game's changed a lot now as well. Probably um, players, I think, are, are better at recognising maybe what it takes to perform and, and the emotional side of the game um, and the mental aspect of to what it takes to perform. I think the more you can speak about that, and the more you can speak about the pressures that we all feel um, as sure. human beings but, but certainly as athletes and footballers at times that can be on a different scale so um, the more freedom we have and, and the more interaction um, yeah I think it would, would definitely be beneficial. You mentioned um, Claire Emsley and Caroline Weir earlier when you were talking about Hibs, did you think that those girls would go on to better things like yourself at that time? Yeah, oh yeah oh, you could... Um, identify the, the talent early on and I, I want to say that Caroline has, has a couple of nicknames um, but to us like within the Scotland setup, we would call her Kaka um, and I, I want to say that that was probably identified as early back as our hips days um, <laughs> because Kaka was still playing then obviously the Brazilian Kaka yeah. and we, we recognised her technical ability he wasn't bad um, <laughs> back, back, <laughs> exactly um, and Claire again was a real live wire full of energy uh, she then moved over to the States I think maybe that, that following season um, to, to go and do her scholarship and, and stuff like that so no it's great to have been part of their journey uh, as early on you know, and they have, have played yeah. in the same team as them, and uh, now to see you know both of them at the level that they're at, it's it's amazing. Just before we move on to your time at Glasgow City, the first time round, um, you mentioned that you had um, periods of problems with injuries. Um, how did that affect you both physically and mentally, Leanne? It's, it was tough. I, I would need to say over the course of my career, I've I've not been that unfortunate. Um, I think just. A lot of the injuries back then at that age would have been more to do with just not knowing how to look after yourself. Um, and, all, you know, I've always trained, I've always enjoyed the gym, I've always, 
you know, worked in a background of health and leisure um, up until the last couple of years. So it, that wasn't for the want of trying to be yeah. fit. Um, but perhaps just not doing the, the, the right things caused a few problems with football when I was at Celtic. Um, I had broke my foot, uh, one of my metatarsals in the build up to the, the Scottish Cup final and, and that was a sore one to take because mm. um, I, I think that would have, again, would have been the difference if we'd been able to go on and win that season yeah. um, and lay a marker down with the cup and stuff like that. So mentally there's, there's been those periods of time where you come out the other side of it, you know, with a bit of regret and a bit of resentment. Yeah. Um, and again, injury-wise, now there's so much knowledge, there's so much understanding. Um, we're so blessed in the sense that at the national team we've got good physios and doctors that you can tap into their expertise, and we have that. And you know, the institute support from Sport Scotland, which has been you know so invaluable. Um, back then, you just you never really had that. You maybe were lucky if you seen a physio once a week and on a match day. Yeah. Um, or certainly even when I had my broken foot there, there was no physio resources that you could use day to day there was there wasn't really anything off feet you know mm. in terms of like the bike or stuff now where technology is so advanced and ideas are, are so advanced you would never miss a session um, yeah. whereas back then if there was an awkward niggle you, you were set back probably 8-10 weeks just because your fitness um, was never maintained during that, that time uh, as well so a bit of frustration, but I would need to say since since then, probably Celtic hips, um, touch wood, I've never really had an injury yeah. That's, yeah. that's kept me out. That's good to hear that. Let's talk about Glasgow <laughs> City because, you know, every time I, I watch women's football, especially in Scotland, I immediately think of Glasgow saying, I mean, I've watched a lot of uh, European games, which yourself and, and your teammates have been involved in on on, on BBC television. Uh, what, is, what is it like to be a part of a team which is so successful in the women's game in Scotland? Do you know what, Grant? It's probably only been the last couple of, couple of years since coming back from um, my time down south that you actually really appreciate Glasgow City. Yeah. Um, and for, for a lot of people, you know, that is what happens. You don't realise what you've got almost until it's gone. Um, and when I had, you know, went down to, to play at Knots and I had loved my time at, at Glasgow City before that. Um, but now there's, thankfully, there's, there's a bit of recognition there for what they've actually achieved and that's been documented. Um, you know, with the recent documentary that was on um, in Taylor and and Caroline, what they've done for the club, um, what we've achieved in, in terms of the Champions League and titles, um, everything that the club's been through. There's there's not many clubs or sports teams that I don't think um, across the world that could really say that they've, they've experienced what we have together as, as a team and as a group of players and individuals uh, above on that in terms of the coach staff and the people around. So it's uh, it, it really is a, a special team to be part of. And, yeah. you know, whether anybody that, that plays at the club now truly feels that or if, if perhaps you do need to go on a bit, a bit of a journey um, that I've been fortunate enough to have in football is that you, you really then can appreciate the good things. And, and Glasgow City's offered a platform for, for, you know, girls and women for a long time now. Um, and that's all good and well but actually the achievement and the success that comes with that 
is on another level. Yeah, absolutely. We spoke earlier on about the blend in experience and youth, which is very important to make a team successful. Does a strong management team help as well? I think it does, yeah. Um, I mean, talking about Laura um, Montgomery and, and Caroline Stewart, they, the two of them have got a... Um, they're a bit of an odd couple when it comes to running the club because <laughs> Laura's so efficient and so on the ball and, and Caroline at times, you know, is a, a bit scatty but she gets the job done um, and is a, a bit more energetic with how she goes about it which you see her working a lot of the time you don't see what Laura's doing um, but the, the two of them combined are, are a, a perfect um, set up for running a football club and certainly the endless hours uh, that they've put into it mm-hmm. you know and then their recruitment over the years as well which they've, they've had a big part in the managers that they've, they've brought to the club um, the players that have been there you know they are the driving force behind what goes on at Glasgow City and when there's changes to be made it's it's them that are making the changes um, whether that's for the better or, or not um, the way they've grown the club just in, in terms of now the academy and mm-hmm. stuff like that you, you need going back to the volunteers going back to the parents um, you know upskilling coaches and, and investing in people that's exactly what they've done and, and so far the balance it's, it's, I don't think you can argue no, with it absolutely um, not absolutely not um, you mentioned about that and then Scott Booth comes into the club as well I mean he's a, he's a footballing hero up, certainly up my way up in Aberdeen I mean what, what's yeah. he like what's he like as a, a manager because as a player he certainly did a job as well for the Dons you know what's funny about, about Scott is that if, if it wasn't for the fact that he knew the career that he had had um, he never speaks about it he, he, he's not one of these managers that ever um, even when he's trying to motivate you you know never does he go back to this is how I would have done it or you know when I played or when I done this and he's a player that's been also uh, to major tournaments you know mm-hmm. uh, he's had, had a brilliant career and that's probably the, the one thing for me that's most endearing about him is that he never feels um it necessary to, to talk really about himself sure. um, and I've loved um, I've loved my time working with him actually he's different again there's been lots of different managers throughout my career um, but me, me and Scott have got the balance of, of that kind of love and hate at times where you know we can, <laughs> we can have a pop at each other and we can say it how it is <laughs> um, you know but I'd like to think that we, we kind of trust and, and respect each other as individuals and I think that's really important as well especially with guys in the women's game it, it's, it is different to the yeah. men's game um, and I think that that can make or break how a team performs or the yeah. reaction that you get from players uh, and for me with Scott I, I think he's got that balance at times he's probably you know too nice yeah yeah um, uh, although he would, uh, you know, he'd probably beg to differ and think that you're really quite hard on it. So <laughs> be careful how, how I phrase that, actually. Yeah, no, um, that's that's absolutely no, fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, again, it's good. Sorry, that he's no, no. in the women's game because it's especially with his journey that he's been on. It would be very easy for him to insist in remaining within the men's game, and um, you know, he probably took a gamble for for his own career. Yeah, you know, and people would have probably frowned upon it in the men's mm-hmm. game that he was. You know, stepping into the women's side, but credit to him for for the way he's gone about it. And again, he's brought a level of success 
to the club that you know until last season hadn't been matched since mm. uh, 2015 in, in terms of the European stuff. Do you think more male managers should go into the female game? Because I, I, I'm thinking of people like Nick Cushing, who's at, uh, who was at Manchester City um, and, and did a fabulous job. And you know, you look at some of the successful female managers like Emma Hayes down in England. You know, do you see more uh, a kind of equal um, male to female ratio in the women's game going forward? Yeah, I, I don't see any reason uh, why not. I think for me, in terms of any job, if, if you're the person that, that is the best pick for the job, regardless of gender, um, you know, you, you should be offered that opportunity. 100%. Um, mm-hmm. The women's game, I think it is different. I think the same way, you know, if I was to step into the men's game, I would, you know, it, I would learn so much from it because there's, there's probably certain aspects of it that are really different that you wouldn't see it until you were exposed to that. Um, but I think what you, you get in the women's game is that probably similar to the men's game if you were to drop down the divisions in, in terms of the work ethic, the commitment that you have from players, um, that more often than not are, are doing that for very little income. Um, so the, motiv- the motivation is certainly not a financial one. Yes. And that's not to discredit um, the men's game because even in Scotland at the top level, you're not talking about life changing sums of money at times. So, um, but I think there there is so much to be um, to be learned from you know, how we go about it in the women's side and in the way that the game's played. So, no, listen, if there was if there was you know guys out there who were looking to get involved in in football and they thought they had something to offer, then. You know why not? I would never want to think that you would deter um, yes. anyone from getting involved in sport at any level. And conversely, do you see a female manager managing a men's side? Because you know, I, I go back to speaking about Emma Hayes. She's possibly being linked with the with the England women's job. You know, could she be linked with a job at the male, at the male level? Again, there's no reason why not. I think we're we're, we're too quick at times to. Um, cherry pick people that we think would be the right fit um, the media at times can have a huge influence I think on that and, and who gets certain roles and jobs and more often than not it's maybe a case of who you know that, that gets yeah. you jobs in football same way it's probably who you know that can get you a move in football as a player because you know mm-hmm. the first thing that you would do even um, you know if you were going to interview somebody is that you would, you would try and find somebody that, that knows them you would ask a wee bit about them so that you knew exactly what you were buying into so um, listen there's no reason why not I think in the men's game the fit would need to be right you would still need to be ticking the right boxes in terms of qualifications and experience and the way you speak to people and how you manage people Um, and if that fit if there was a team that thought that that was something that that, that suited the direction that they were moving in then I would love to see it yeah yeah Um, because I even think in the men's game it's changed a lot in terms of the managers and the characters and the way they deal with people Mm -hmm. you know it's not as rash it's not as um you know, I don't know how to phrase it, but just in the sense that those characters... Not as helter-skelter is what I would call it. (laughs) Aye, to shout at people and to motivate people and that to be the way that you you bring success now, the games, you think about things a lot more. It's, you know, there's a lot more in terms of the technology and the analysis and the way you deliver information probably to to players. Um, You know, it's... We're, we're much more receptive to that mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter who delivers you that yeah. information as long as the information is good 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, going back to Glasgow City, we're talking about um, there's no success domestically, but also on the European stage. What's the best European venture you guys have had? For me, it's got to have been last year. Um, Any specific game or just the, the journey, journey as a whole? The journey as a whole, the Bronby game, uh, well, I never played in, in the game at Peter Hill because I was suspended, so um, <laughs> that was bizarre. <laughs> um, but just actually, just, like I touched on earlier, like the, for example, the Scottish Cup final with, with Celtic where I had been injured, um, struggling to get back, I made the bench, I think I'm a bit on for like the last five, ten minutes, I think we grabbed a goal back, um, but that, you come away from that feeling, you know, whether you had won or lost that day, it would never have quite felt the same because you wouldn't have truly felt part of the moment, yes. you know, and people can, can argue with that, you know, all they want, um, I want to be on the pitch and I want to be playing and I want to be contributing. The Bronby game's probably the first time in football that I've ever not been content with not playing, but felt the same emotion and the same excitement and the same nerves sitting in the stand watching the team perform, yeah. knowing what was on the line. Um, and the last time that we got to the, the quarters of the Champions League, that was the season I had left Glasgow City. So I had left just before, I think, the round of 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had never quite got to, you know, as much as I was part of that team, it's not like one of those ones where you play in the first round of the Scottish Cup and you go on to win it and you claim that you still got a winner's medal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it never quite felt the same for me. So yeah. um, literally the, the Bronby game, just watching that on the the other yeah. side of the, the white line was, was incredible. Um, as the game went on, the nerves, the, you know, the just the intense emotion of mm-hmm. knowing what was riding on it yeah. right down to the penalties you know to being standing at, at the corner in line with the goalkeeper um, and then Joe scoring and converting that penalty is up there with one of the best moments yeah it was and I, I remember watching that live in my, in my brother's room actually and it was I, I remember getting out of my seat and just going yes when that happened because it's just, yeah. it's just it was just a fabulous moment and it's not often you, you see a Scottish side at that level go so far in Europe because probably the last memories we have of that is probably Rangers getting to the UEFA Cup final in 2008 mm-hmm. yeah no absolutely and I think that was the bit for me that as you get older the nice thing that comes with age and sport is that you do start to appreciate the the moments and the wins and even over the last couple of years like there's medals probably that I've you know that I had won league cup medals and uh, runners up medals that you all not dispose of them but you come back because you're probably a bit disappointed that it it never quite ticked the right box and I find myself now trying to dig through old boxes of stuff you know trying to get everything together because I'm now at a stage where I value and I appreciate every experience um, that I've had in in football and to be able to look back and and jog your memory in in terms of the games that you played and um, whether they were were good or bad Um, but no that was just was unbelievable Um, and just the thought probably a bit of guilt was in me as well the the fact that I wasn't playing and, and I wasn't actually able to help the side um, but we had done the job over in Bronby, so you were kind of a bit content with that we were still in the tie. But then, just the way that the game played out was was a uh, next level. Um, 
anxiety and stress. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was a great moment for, for me personally watching it, but also great for, I'm sure, a lot of Scottish yeah. fans especially. Let's talk about Notts County, because obviously you made the trip down to the, the English setup. I mean, that's a totally different kettle of fish in my view, because, you know, the way it's expanding is just extraordinary. I mean, what was it like for you? Yeah, and I think that's... That was the biggest thing for me, and I would have said it a lot. Maybe in the last two years, it's changed again because they've had huge investment from Barclays. I think it is in whatever the fifty million pound. I think that they were putting into the women's game down there, and the FA have probably cranked it up a notch or two in terms of what they're offering. But when I went down, I almost felt like there was a bit of a smoke screen in the sense that it's portrayed as being on a different level and mm-hmm. and the players are seen to be far superior to what we've got in Scotland um, and I never felt that I never That's felt that, you know look, even you know if you were to take that Glasgow City side of, of 2015 and put them into the WSL um, they would have easily been a, a top three side I would probably agree with that you yeah. know, comfortably comfortably um, uh, and that was the, the bit for me. So I never ever felt like I was out of my depth when I was down. It was a challenge. Yes, there was, of course, talented players across all the, the teams, but there was one or two individual, individuals that were real standouts. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the time, that that's based on reputation in terms of you know who they were as national team players and whatever else. Notts County was was really raw. It was ran on a a bare minimum budget. You know there was. Uh, some some really good players, um, but nobody was gaining, you know, financially from their, yeah. their time there. Um, but it was a brilliant experience. It was it was. Um, mm. I was lucky uh, in the way that it played out, and the people that the girls that I ended up sharing accommodation with um, in the house, you know, the clubhouse that, that we had was a brilliant blend of people yeah. and characters, and that made it easy to go yeah. to work every day. Yeah. Um, and it certainly made it a bit easier to be away from home and away from family and stuff which at the age of 27 that was a new experience for me and that was, was probably the, the most difficult part of it the football bit was easy yeah, well, I'm, I'm twenty. Yeah, well, I'm. Tw- it's funny you mention that because I was. I'm twenty eight. I'm twenty nine this year, and, and just to hear that, you know, if I was in your shoes, I, I, I would have been absolutely crapping myself. Or, no, 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 beating about the bush with that. I'd have, I'd have found that yeah. quite hard. Um, so very interesting to no, hear that. And that's what people, I think, take for granted. Even I spoke about it when, uh, you know, there was a chat about Kieran Tierney leaving Celtic and and moving away. Um, and I think we spoke about it one day on sports scene and, and I was asked how I thought um, he would get on and me personally looking at him as a player and and seeing, you know, how his life is portrayed, I don't know him, mm-hmm. you know, personally. Um, but relating to my experiences, I, I said that I think it would be difficult for him because you're leaving Glasgow, yeah. which is a goldfish bowl of people, you know, you've got your friends and family around you. Mm-hmm. He, for one, was playing at a club that everybody loves him. He's a huge part of their success. Mm-hmm. Going up sticks and going living in England is very different from yeah. living in Scotland. The people are different. Uh, the cities are, are much bigger. And, you know, that, for me, was, was the biggest thing, finding your way around. Like, I was using a sat-nav for probably <laughs> nine months. <laughs> it being in Nottingham, you know, and it was almost like just driving, you know, in Glasgow, I caught a 15-minute journey across M8, but I, I could not work out where I was, it just felt 
so new yes. and so scary. Yeah. Um, and that for me was the first time at you know, at twenty seven I had lived in Glasgow and Edinburgh but you know, forty five minutes along the eight's a bit different from a five and a half hour <laughs> drive to Nottingham. So um that was a huge obstacle for me to overcome. Um and I don't think had I not been as lucky in terms of the, the people that I, I lived with and, and the girls and how good they were at the team. Yeah. I don't know if that transition would have been quite as easy at another club but perhaps it would have been a bit more hostile. Mm-hmm. Um or people, you know, were a bit more isolated away from, from the game. That's really interesting to hear that story. And um, Let's talk about internationally because we've talked a lot about your club's success. What is it like to represent your country? Because Scotland women's football team are just going from strength to strength, aren't they? They are, they are. Um, it's, again, that's, it's been quite a journey on the international um, set-up for me anyway. Um, you know, and having made my debut back in but I think it was maybe 2009, possibly. There might be a way to check this out while you're speaking. <laughs> keep keep so going. I th- ah, yeah, you're right. Cheers, then, nine, yeah. Yeah, and had a couple of appearances back then, and, and then I was out the, the set-up for a number of years until 2013, um, when I was brought back in by Anna uh, Singal, and, and I've kind of been a mainstay since then, which has been incredible um, but it's been some journey over over that period of time to, to look at um, how the women's game more than anything because the teams always had, had talented players I think the, the physical aspect of the game is what's been the biggest change mm-hmm. is that we're now at a, a level where we can physically match the yeah. top sides in the world we're maybe a bit off um, you know the top five or six in, in terms of that but we're very very close and we've shown that over the last number of years with the games that we've played um, but it's been a bit of a whirlwind it's, it's uh, you know, even speaking to Caroline uh, we heard the other day on our podcast and Caroline's uh, only you know early 20s and, and she was saying again she was the same she came in in 2013 to the national side and yeah. saying how Jane Ross was telling her um you know, to appreciate the moments and time goes by so quickly um, and that's so true because yeah. of the years and even thinking about the, the Euros in 2017, it, it certainly doesn't seem that, that long ago it, now It certainly doesn't. Anna Siegel really did a, a great job in, in kicking Scotland off. How much has Shelley Kerr taken that baton and ran even further with it? Uh, oh, she's done uh, She's done a brilliant job and I think with Anna uh, the work that Anna put in, um, a lot of people won't have seen that. You know, yeah. when when she first came into the game, she probably changed the mindset of the nation in, in terms of how we were training mm-hmm. and how we performed as people as well off the pitch and, and the way we went about our business. Um, you know, and, and she changed the, the clubs from training probably once and twice a week to upping that to three and four sessions, gym sessions. Um, demanding more, you know, from Sports Scotland, demanding more from the government in in terms of the funding, so um, all of that was was in place, Um, and again, Shelley's came in at a time where the the talent pool um, is probably as big as it's been, and, you know, with her and and the team behind her, she's managed to develop that um, even more, Uh, and, and with that in sport, I think you know, negative experiences always help you um, mm-hmm. to create 
create better ones and thankfully the squad that we've got just now have had a blend of all of that now and I think the real excitement for us is, is moving forward in terms of what we can achieve at the next tournament yes. because we've had our experiences from the Euros we've had that World Cup experience where mm-hmm. it's now uh, no longer just good enough mm-hmm. to qualify Yeah, uh, and we see ourselves as, as a team now that's ready to, to kick on and and really show people um, what we're made of. So the future, I, th- I think, for Shelley and, and the side that she's got, um, you know, is one that's filled with a lot of optimism. Yeah. Do you guys feel that you were, you know, really hard done by at that World Cup? Because I, I still believe that Scotland definitely should have finished higher than Bomb in that group. Yeah, I think that's the, the biggest um, regret for us as a group of players is that, that we really felt that we had and is a, a you know potential for a, a much better outcome um, and that would have been to get out of the group mm-hmm. so you can only learn from that though if that's where football is so tough I, I think the tournament itself the way it played out um, you know I hate to mention it but the way VAR was, was used um, we've all learned from that it was all yeah. very new I, I don't think it was that was the right time for that level of technology to be used at that tournament um, and it probably played a bigger part than it should have I agree actually, I agree in a lot with that yeah. in my opinion Cause I, I, feel uh, so, I felt so sorry for Lee Alexander because she made a stunning save for that penalty and you know it was it was crazy I, I, I remember being enraged by it and if my dad oh. is listening to this especially he will agree with that because I have never been so angry about some of that and you know I when it when it was coming out I was possibly more of an admirer of VAR than, than most but when I saw that incident and seen it against my nation or my teams it, it just en- enraged me I know and I think that I was the same um, we had spoke about it in the build up to the tournament what our thoughts were and even in, in terms of the media I would have spoke about it and if I was for or against it um, and I'm not even to this day I'm, I'm not against it I, I think it's like anything in order to to utilise it um, to its full potential you need you need people and referees um, to be able to execute it and, yeah. and to understand the game um, and a lot of the stuff is subjective still which is probably the, the biggest problem but no, the tournament in itself was was um, probably a, a very different experience to, to what you would perhaps have expected in that sense that you, you had those obstacles to overcome that, yeah. that maybe you know if they had delayed it in another four years and played it out in the men's game uh, and let everybody have the teething problems that yeah. they had <laughs> with the Women's World Cup then you know maybe it would, would be a better experience for us um, but it is what it is and, yeah. and listen if you could pause life at, at 68 minutes when it was 3-0 against Argentina then um, you know my story you were needing someone like Bernard's watch if you ever watched that back in the day <laughs> I, I, I actually watched it back probably I think I was it was two days after I had come back from France because um, I just needed to get it out of my system it, yeah. was, it was one of those ones that you were you were replaying it anyway yes. um, and sometimes it, it's better to actually just see it and it's it's truly a day and, and it's put to bed uh, 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's talk about your media. Yeah, let's let's talk to more happier climbs <laughs> and let's talk about your media uh, transition. Um, obviously, yeah. you're working uh, quite closely with Stephen Thompson on on Friday night coverage. Who takes longer yeah. to do their hair in preparation? <laughs> <laughs> definitely him. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might be the answer. <laughs> in all, in all seriousness, what like is in all seriousness, what like is Tomo to work with? No, he's brilliant. Listen, he's actually um, he's a great guy. Uh, he's he makes the job so easy for me. Uh, and I know it's it's probably relatively new to him as well in in terms of the, the Friday night presenting stuff. He's been in front of the camera a bit more, I reckon. Um, in terms of just the overall punditry and yeah. stuff like that, but no, there's no no difference again. And when I go back to footballing experiences, where you're you're never seen as there, there being a difference in, in two people, um, that's kind of the way mm-hmm. that our relationship on screen is like. Um, and he's good fun. Like he's a brilliant character, and, and anybody that knows him and anybody that speaks about him in the men's game, I know that they've always got uh, good things to say about him yeah. uh, and I actually just feel really privileged that I, I've been able to share that, that media experience um, up until now and I hope moving forward that we, we continue to um, present the championship show and, and yeah. that's a mainstay um, for Scottish football because it's it's two sports people that I know we we would never see ourselves as, as being perfect at, at what we do and, mm-hmm. and by any means of the, the imagination and and people will criticise that and, and people will always have something to say whether you're you're really good at something uh, exactly. or you're not. But I think for us, we we both are happy to work hard at, at what we do and if we can have a bit of fun along the way in terms of his quiff, trying to compete against my quiff. <laughs> uh, and, the, you know, the highlight for us is always the, the top of the show in the championship where uh, more times than not, that's just me, um, you know, been able to have a bit of fun <laughs> and, and he's the butt of the jokes but yeah. um, it's always a nice start to the show when, when we can have a bit of light heart definitely fun. definitely yeah. one of the things I thought was quite interesting and I had Kenny Clark on a previous podcast was you guys had the experiences of doing the, the lines women and lines men officiating how difficult was that for you to experience that well horrendous, <laughs> horrendous. <laughs> not, not for you <laughs> so nervous about making a decision um, do you know what that show was actually it was uh, it was brilliant to be part of um, because for me again I can see it from, from all angles you know mm-hmm. I've been what we both have and, and that was why we were the people that delivered um, the show was that as a player you can have something to say as a referee as a pundit you know you sit there and, and you criticise probably more often than not because nobody speaks about the good decisions that, yes. that these men and women make week to week we only scrutinise um, the ones that in our eyes they get wrong um, so to actually speak to the, the referees and uh, the assistant referees and just get to know what they do week mm-hmm. to week in, in terms of their training and the mindset and why they became referees, you know, what made them want to get into the game, um, the pressures around it and the mentality, because when you take a step back and you, you look at the job that they do, um, you know, they're pretty good at it and, and of course there'll always be moments that they get wrong and there'll be decisions mm-hmm. that they get wrong, but seeing it, especially in Scotland, until we make them all full time, 
and we let them only focus on being the best referees and assistant referees you know, who are we to criticise? Definitely, definitely. We're leaning towards the end of the podcast, Leanne. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. For you, starting out in the media at the moment, um, where does the future lie for yourself? Because, you know, I, I think of people like Jackie Oatley and Ailey Barber who have been very successful at the top of their game. Is that a transition for you after you finish your playing career? Uh, honestly, I've got no idea. Um, um probably you know opened as many doors as I possibly can while still playing mm-hmm. um, and whether that be in terms of my education which uh, you know I'm still I'm halfway through a health and social care degree that I, I study through the open university oh, brilliant. Um, I, I'm a B license um, holder in terms of my coaching so whether I'll look at some point to progress that and, and move on um, the media thing has been incredible the journey up until now has been eye opening um, and I feel really really privileged to have those opportunities and that's going back to when I started in 2017 working with Peter Martin um, you know in, in his company PLZ and covering games and yeah. literally you know me a microphone and an iPad going out to Scottish games um, you know, to now doing the bit more that I'm, I'm doing um, with the BBC. So who knows, honestly, I'll, I'll keep working hard that, that all the things that I do, um, again, it's like a football team. I'm just trying to find a blend yeah. and a balance that, that makes life enjoyable. Whatever opportunities um, come my way, I've learned to just say yes to most of them because it's the only way you know um, mm. whether you'll succeed or not. If yeah. you say no, then... You know, you would never, you would never know what your potential was. So, um, I'll just keep plodding away and uh, That's the taking way. the pelters on Twitter, on, <laughs> uh, Twitter every Friday night yeah. after. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you're doing a smashing job. Finally, before we wrap up, let's talk about the Behind the Goals uh, podcast, which you're doing with Rachel Corsi. Um, where can people listen to that, um, and how can they find an in- uh, kind of involve themselves a bit more within it? Yeah, well, for now it's on. We're posting the, the video version just on Instagram TV, so IGTV. That's available. Um, if either you follow uh, at Behind the Goals on Instagram, it's posted on my Instagram, um, which is at Crichton Leanne A. It's on Rachel Corsi's as well, um, and also it's uploaded to SoundCloud just the, yeah. the audio version. Yeah. Um, so no, listen, that for us is, is just a means of of us probably coping. Uh, in this moment where uh, our friendship is is very distant Um, we've spoken about it for a long time we love to talk we love to chat we love to put the the worlds to right (laughs) Um, and we just seen it as an opportunity for people to to see a bit more of us and and get to know you know some of our teammates and and people that we've crossed paths with um, in life you know and if one or two people want to listen to it and and take something from it um, then that's great you know it's enjoyable doing it and it's, it's certainly probably brought me and Rachel a bit closer together again, um, which lockdowns has done that for, for everybody I think. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, well, I'm going to recommend Leanne's podcast as well because I've listened to all much. three shows so far as of recording of this and they're all fantastic. The only disappointing thing is they don't mention Bourbon Biscuits enough, which are my personal favourite. You guys mention Garibaldi <laughs> quite a lot. Well, well, listen, I don't know if you've... Uh, did you feed back to me on the digestive biscuit? No. Right, so... Uh, what Caroline thinks is that the chocolate on a digestive biscuit is on the bottom. I think I, I think I know the biscuit you're speaking of, but I'll need to have a look and check. <laughs> so just a milk a milk 
chocolate digestive. Ah, okay. Would you say that the chocolate is on top or is on the bottom? Ooh. I, I would say the top, but that's just my first opinion. Uh, that's what we thought. Me and Rachel thought that. Uh, Caroline threw a couple. <laughs> sorry, Caroline. I, 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 I feel. I feel like I was. I feel like I was put into a corner with that one. So sorry, Caroline. <laughs> no, you can. You can. You can rant at me on Twitter about this when this comes out. Leanne, thanks very much for being a guest on the Campbell's Wheels podcast. I've enjoyed our discussion. Thanks so much. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, or Instagram, or other social media channels. But until then, until next time... I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's footballs. What a dangerous night!